just a long journey, it's hard yards, you're just having to gradually earn your spurs. That's Nick Humphreys, executive chairman of HG, one of the largest software investors in Europe. If you ask Nick how he's developed such a high degree of focus on the software space, he'll tell you that the strategy emerged organically through decades of trial and error. You know, we found we were able to generate superior returns, but with lower levels of volatility. Over the last several years, we've noticed a high degree of innovation in the private equity space. Sector focus and even hyper-sector focus, that is, focus on subsectors within sectors, is becoming more on strategy for more and more GPs around the world. Today on the show, I'll ask Nick to share his journey from generalist to specialist and how a deep, sustained focus on a single sector can yield surprisingly stable returns. And candidly, when you present that to clients, you know, they like that. I'm Hugh MacArthur, head of Bain's global private equity practice, and this is Dry Powder. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for stopping by today. Thank you for having me, Hugh. I'm, uh, I listen regularly on my runs in the morning, so uh, I'm a big advocate. No, we appreciate that very much. First, I'd like to talk to you about the topic of sector specialization. I think you've been on a very interesting journey, and I'd really love to understand over the last couple of decades how you've developed such a high degree of focus on the tech sector, specifically software and tech-enabled services. What were some of the pivotal decisions that you had to take that really transformed your fund into such a leading-edge tech fund? Uh, yeah, if it's okay, I'll maybe take you slightly further back because that's really part of the story. I'm a techie, kind of nerdy guy. I grew up in a kind of Star Wars generation in the 70s and did computer science and electronics at university. Came out of university in 1990 and went straight into private equity. And the first three or four years was a generalist investing in any sector. And candidly, when you give somebody in the 20s kind of capital and say, go look at any sector and produce the kind of results that you might imagine. And I remember going home to my wife and saying, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get fired at some point because my boss will kind of figure out that I've lost just about as much money as I've made. <laughs> that was back in 93, 94. And I decided that the only thing I could do to have a chance of trying to be successful was to really narrow down uh, and focus on one kind of thing on a personal basis. And given my background, I chose technology and in particular kind of software and, and IT services. So really, that's what I've been doing exclusively since 94. I joined HG in 2001. I was essentially the tech guy focusing exclusively on those sectors then. This was just post the dot-com kind of boom and then bust. And frankly, what we found, particularly in Europe, was that there were really no other firms that were as focused as we were within this software investing arena. So between kind of 01 and 07, which is when I took over running HG, we just found out by experience over that six, seven-year period that tech was a growing sector. But also, if you chose the right types of business model, you could back businesses that were safer, less volatile, less risky than general buyouts, but actually presented more upside return opportunity as well. You know, we found we were able to generate superior returns, but with lower levels of volatility. And candidly, when you present that to clients, you know, they like that. And so we decided to then double down on software and tech exclusively from about 2007, 2008 onwards. Something very interesting you said, Nick, is that, you know, tech was less volatile and lower risk with higher returns. And I recall coming out of the 01 period that tech was kind of a dirty word in the private equity industry because the dot-com era had kind of exploded and the industry was much more comfortable 
investing in the meat and potatoes of industrial businesses and consumer businesses? And how did you come to the conclusion that software and services were actually less volatile and safer to invest in? Because that was not conventional wisdom in the early 2000s at all. You're right. You know, the bottom line is that not all tech is lower risk and higher return. There are certainly patches of the sector that are very volatile. You know, candidly, I'd spent most of the 1990s investing in all of those types of software businesses. And when I was fortunate enough to arrive at HG and have the support of prior partners, I was able to take that decade's worth of experience and frankly work through where we'd made mistakes and try and figure out how we could avoid making those mistakes again and see frankly what was left and say, is there, is there something where we've not made mistakes that is large enough to going to make some investments in. And when you work that through, particularly with the benefit of having the kind of boom and bust of like 97 through to 2001, you know, we were able to figure out stuff that is now, I think, relatively obvious to most people, but at the time was relatively unusual. So for us, that was understanding that B2B software in mission critical areas on a subscription basis, not a one-off license basis, with very, very deep levels of intellectual property and data embedded into the kind of software. And lastly, businesses that had no customer concentration. So those kind of four or five characteristics I've just described became what we ended up calling the kind of HG sweet spot. And those characteristics have really been at the heart of everything that we've done for the last 20 years. And as I say, that's not unique now. I think it's well understood by quite a few people at this point, but it was relatively unique uh, and, and completely unique, frankly, in Europe back in 2001. And, and do you use that thinking on kind of an ad hoc basis as deals come in the door? Or did you systematically map out all of the subsectors of the tech space with an eye toward which ones fit those four or five criteria the best and which ones don't? We had the belief that if you spent your time identifying subsectors that had the characteristics that we described, the sweet spot characteristics, there were likely to be multiple deals over time, but you had no clue when you're starting off on that journey when a deal would occur. Mm. Well, you did know that you were in a target-rich environment. If you were looking for certain elements of, kind of healthcare software, then there would be multiple companies that had the characteristics we described. And over time, statistically, some of those companies would want some form of shareholder change and when they did, we would have a deep understanding of the sectors and hopefully a good understanding of the management teams and of the businesses. So that's the strategy we adopted to develop deep expertise in those end markets to really try and understand the management teams in, in businesses we would invest in and also their competitors and, and their contemporaries. And over time, we hoped that that would generate deal opportunities. So it's really a more proactive approach to sourcing and knowing what you want. You don't know exactly when the fish is going to be on the end of the line, but you know which ponds you actually want to fish in to maximize the potential for landing the right deal. Exactly. Yeah. You start to become much more like a strategic. So if we take tax and accounting software, which I view myself as being fortunate that I spent the last kind of 20 years investing and concentrating on that sector. Candidly, my kids view me as probably one of the more boring people they've ever met as a result, but uh, I've enjoyed it. But in tax and accounting, we've been investing in businesses in that sector for actually 17, 18 years. We've been researching the sector for over 20. And as a result, we look more like a strategic in that sector. You know, we view people like Thomson Reuters and Walters Kluwer and kind of Intuit as kind of contemporaries in that sector, not really other kind of private equity investors. 
That's fascinating. That is really, really laser beam focused. And, and it really is interesting that you use the term, you act like a strategic and you think of yourselves in many ways as a strategic. When you own these businesses, do you share operational best practices across the portfolio? Are you hyper verticalized within areas of software or do you share things more transversally on how to maximize the value of these businesses with your portfolio folks? It's a really good question. And there are always elements to which the individual vertical has nuances that are very special. Within tax and accounting, for example, we have eight or nine different investments and we've made literally hundreds of bolt-on acquisitions. So we have very, very deep vertical expertise. But the entire portfolio of investments that we have, so 38 investments, around about $60 billion enterprise value, they're all in B2B subscription software and there are probably 70 to 80% of the operating practices that are kind of common across the different verticals. Obviously, if we had investments that were in lots of other sectors like industrials or retail or consumer, that wouldn't be the case. But because all of our investments are in B2B subscription software, probably 70 to 80% of the operational issues that are common. So yeah, we put a huge amount of time into getting our CXOs together, making sure that they really get on well with each other. Ultimately, what we're really looking to do is for them to kind of help each other. So we put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of investment into ways in which we can kind of make that happen. When we make an investment, we can onboard the CXOs of those businesses into that community. Really, that's ultimately, we think, part of our special source is we've got 38 CEOs, 38 CXOs, 38 CISOs that are really kind of thinking about similar things and sharing best practices between themselves. So the portfolio company executives really do interact and you encourage that both in a structured way and in an informal way. This is not the annual get together over drinks and dinner with the, all of the CXOs to, to celebrate success. It's much more of an ongoing drumbeat of what can we learn from each other? Yeah, it's, we do like getting together for dinners. and um, <laughs> we, we used to like that anyway. Obviously, in, in the kind of last 12 months, that's not really been very possible, but it's really a much more regular, it's really kind of weekly cohorts. We manage an online community, uh, which we call Hive, as in Beehive. And, you know, that community is like a, a private kind of Facebook, if you want. It's about 170 people from our portfolio companies, and they're sharing content with each other. You know, we're moderating and sharing some content from ourselves as well. We hold very regular kind of, you know, best-in-class talks between them. So we're doing that across probably, I think, around about kind of 10 different um, functional areas, as I say, chief information security officers is a very key one with cyber being such a kind of prevalent and big issue. Again, you know, that world is moving so fast that it's hugely helpful to our portfolio to have somebody within HG who is full-time, who's an ex-CISO himself, who focuses on that full-time on, on our staff, if you want. And then, you know, 38 CISOs within our portfolio that know each other, that benchmark to each other, that share information very, very regularly, literally kind of daily and weekly. You know, Nick, we spend a lot of time in our private equity annual report this year talking about the evolution of the private equity industry itself. And it seems to us at Bain that there's been a lot of innovation, increasing specialization with funds such as yourself. And there are also innovators at what I call the large cap end of the market, firms that have tremendous amounts of resources and can raise funds and put talented teams in place to pursue different strategies, whether it's uh, sector specialization or ESG funds or long hold funds or growth equity funds. We're just seeing a diversity of product that is unprecedented really in the industry over the past five to seven years. And 
what it leaves is kind of what I call the classic buyout fund. And just imagine uh, arbitrarily a fund kind of two to $10 billion in size, kind of classically organized, four or five verticals, but not a sort of massive degree of specialization. And a lot of those funds we're talking to are wondering, well, is this an offensive opportunity for me to get more specialized or is this a defensive opportunity because I could be in trouble if I don't? What do you think it would take for a, a, what I'm calling a classic buyout fund to transition to be a more specialized fund, say along a sector basis, the way you've done? Um, it's a difficult one for me to comment on. I'm a big believer that there's not one way to be successful. It's all about your own culture and the way you apply it. For a firm that was thinking about moving from generalist to specialist, our experience at least is that it's just a long journey. There's no short circuits. I don't think there's any way that you can do 30 or 40 or 50 software deals or do 10 or 15 deals in the tax and accounting software space in the six or a 12 or an 18 month period. Even if you can kind of hire an entire team and that team is incredibly productive in terms of doing new investments, I've not yet found a way in which you can short circuit a typical three to five year private equity hold into kind of 12 months. I mean, they're just takes time to create value, particularly in the current market where prices are high. And so, you know, even if you could hire a great team instantly, and that team were deploying lots and lots of capital in a 12 to 24 month period, which by the way, I suspect would scare the LPs quite a lot, quite rightly. Mm-hmm. You've then got a three to five year minimum elapsed period to kind of prove that what you've done is successful. So even if you start now with infinite resources and an infinite hiring capacity at six to seven years to kind of start to prove that what you've done is successful. Yeah, it makes sense, Nick. We, we always talk about private equity as being the industry that it takes the longest to actually demonstrate whether you're winning or whether you're losing, but it does take years to figure these things out. Yeah. You know, we know it's also cyclical as well. So frankly, I think it's relatively easy for somebody to become a software investor in 2014 and to prove in 2017, 18, 19 that they're making two or three X their money. Candidly, my dog could probably have could have invested in private equity <laughs> software in 2018 or 2017 and made some kind of return. I think what really matters is, you know, did you make investments in 2006, seven at the peak of the last market that proved to be good investments in 2010 when you exited them four years later? Could you make good investments, you know, pre-COVID that have proven to be good investments post-COVID? I suspect we're going to have some tail off in the, you know, software and tech market because we're at a 12, 13 year high at the moment. I think, you know, we will have a cycle and that cycle will probably be lower in X year's time than it is now. And obviously our job for our LPs is to prove that we can kind of make money through all cycles, through all vintages with low volatility. And that just takes time to prove, I think. I totally agree. I mean, obviously understanding a sector well enough to know what to choose that is either COVID resistant or recession resistant and certainly can survive in volatile times comes with experience and is the ultimate proof point of what makes successful investing in, in any sector. And it also sounds like your, your dog is far more intelligent than my two golden retrievers, by the way. <laughs> On the next episode of Dry Powder, we'll see how HG swiftly adopts the latest breakthroughs in advanced analytics, AI, and machine learning. We think it's absolutely the heart of the next generation of DD, of operation improvement in portfolio companies, generating higher revenues, etc. And we've invested hugely in it. I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening. <laughs>